Hello and welcome to Chats, a television podcast, season 15, Chats 8. Each week we watch and discuss two episodes of the Netflix Oregano series, Sense 8. I'm Alan, and I'm joined by Batvan's weird cousin, Rob Bin Truck. It's Magellan! <laughs> truck. Truck, honk, truck, honk. truck, 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 truck. What? Bat Van? Oh, bat the Bat Van's weird cousin. The Bat Van. Joined by the Bat Van's weird cousin. Can you cousin believe there was Robin. no Bat Van in episode two? The hell? That yeah, sh- severe lack of Bat Van content in episode severe two. Severe lack. JMS, you led me down again. Severe lack, JMS. This is the part where I beatbox. Um, hey guys. It's a Sensate podcast. First of all, Magellan, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Today at work, I was speaking to a coworker who's a fellow content creator, and he yeah. was telling me about how he like makes sure the first ten seconds of his YouTube videos are really, you know, engaging to get people interested. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, on our podcast, we try to like be relatable in the first five minutes to like keep people wanting to listen to us, and then immediately we're like. <laughs> Yeah. Did you catch my 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 intentional glitch? By the way, that I called it the Netflix Oregano series. I didn't say original. <laughs> yeah, you didn't I catch it. You didn't... I noticed. I noticed. I'm glad you noticed. You do things like that a lot. What do you mean? What are you saying? You're being crazy. Right I now. liked it. Netflix Oregano. I liked it. Mm. Let's talk. Let's talk about Netflix for a second. Yes, we must. Finally. So, so I canceled it. Magellan, we're like, literally about to talk about a Netflix original series. I know. I canceled it last month, and then we decided we were going to do Sense8, and I was like, whoa-oh, I whoa. made a mistake Oh, I guess but I got to stay with my girlfriend to, for the next six months. <laughs> shout out to my girlfriend for letting me use her Netflix account. Girlfriend of um, the podcast. Yeah. Uh, thanks, Amanda. But uh, yeah, it's gotten so expensive these days, that Netflix. It really has. Yeah, I don't $16 want sixteen dollars a month. Are you creaking kidding me? And you don't <laughs> have as good a stuff as HBO Max? Are you chonking right now? I'm chonking hard, dude. I really am. Um, God, yeah, it's, what's the what's the deal with streaming services these days, huh? Oh God, I'm giving John. We're gonna get so canceled. We're so we're so out of touch. <laughs> but I mean, the truth is, you're right, and and people pay too much for streaming services because. The alternative is what we had before, which is you pay two hundred, like one hundred and fifty dollars a month for cable. Yeah, uh, but you also everybody day, shares every Sense8, account. Sense eight cost a nickel. <laughs> twenty fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Early I, days of those Netflix oreganos. Mm. You like what I did there? <laughs> yeah, it's a callback. It keeps the listener engaged and makes them feel good for remembering that we said that earlier. Um, I want to do. I want to play a little game with you here. Okay. Okay. Um, I want you to guess which number Netflix original series Sense8 is. Oh, in release order? Yeah, that's right. Oh. Uh, oh, you know what? What? It's not on the list of Netflix original programming. Didn't they get it from somewhere or something? I didn't think so. I thought it just came directly to Netflix. Science okay. for Netflix, yeah. It's produced for Netflix. It's not on this Wikipedia. Oh wait, there is list the... of ended Netflix original program. Oh. Here we go. Okay, okay, okay. 
on the list of no longer because Stranger Things is still ongoing, of course. Yep. Uh, when will it stop? On the list of ended Netflix original programs, where does Sense8 fall? Is the first question. Three. No. Okay. Uh, seven. That's correct. Seven. Oh. Now you get one point for each of the six that precede it and one point for each of the six that follow it. Hemlock Grove, Lilyhammer, House of Cards. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, yes, Hemlock Grove. Yes, House of Cards. No to Lilyhammer. Does Orange is the New Black count? Because it was... Yes. It was, okay, because it's over now. Yeah. Bojack Horseman? Uh, No. The Seven Deadly Sins anime? No. The Marco Polo series? Yes. Okay. That's all of the Netflix originals that I remember from this era. <laughs> now, let me get you with this. So it goes House of Cards, Hemlock Grove, Orange is the New Black, Marco Polo. You got all those. Bloodline. Don't know what that is. Sounds fake. Daredevil. Oh, good one. And then Sensei is followed later in 2015 by Narcos. Yep. And Jessica Jones. Wait, what do you mean Netflix original Daredevil? Don't you mean Disney Plus original series Daredevil? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> oh, my brain's gotten erased. We've always what been at war heck? with Jessica Jones. <laughs> anyway, so I didn't realize they were really cranking them out in 2015, but I guess it's a couple of years into Netflix originals being a thing. Still early, but not the earliest. Well, yes, because at the early, this is the era where they were throwing as many at the wall as they could so that it felt like what it is now, which is a TV channel that just has like 50 different shows for every single possible audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a bummer because nowadays, like Hemlock Grove recently got delisted from Netflix just because, you know, ever since that HBO Max deal, streaming companies think it's normal and good to just like write off shows as a tax write off and be like, OK, doesn't exist anymore. And it's like, guys, you also so don't know where rec- to get it except uh, like DVD or something. And they don't even always release stuff on DVD, though. On October Damn. 22nd, 2022, all three seasons of Hemlock Grove are just going to be wiped. And like, that's a spooky show. That was a, that's a perfect Halloween rewatch show. That but, is spooky. It's so 33 episodes of um, Eli American Ron. Horror <laughs> Streaming Television Series. <laughs> I knew what you were going to do. I remember seeing Strange Adrian Lockhart. Happenings of Hamlocker, fictional town in Pennsylvania. Yep, yep, yeah. Yep. Come on, it's got a scars guard. Recent brutal murders stirred up rumors. Famke Jensen. It's got a scars guard. I watched Famke a lot of these for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Famka. Danka oh, Famka. It's Bill Skarsgård. <laughs> Sorry, Bill. I only just like kidding. Stellan. <laughs> I'm just Be nice to the Skarsgårds. Bill, I thought you were great in It Chapter Two. Sorry, yeah. sorry, Bill. Sorry, I think Bill. he was. I think he was actually maybe Pennywise. I could be wrong. He was. He was Pennywise, the dancing clown. There it is. Why must the clown both, dance? Both its. It's its. I went to San Francisco recently, both as research for Sense Eight and to try and its its for the sake of this punchline. What did you What did you think of its its? They're really good. Yeah, that was my That's freshman it. 15 and sophomore year. Was it's, it's. <laughs> Just straight it's it's to the face. <laughs> yeah. She pounded yeah. back it's it's. It's it's for yeah. those who don't know is our regional like no, it's like a northern California thing specifically, right? Or is this a California thing? Um I've only ever had them in northern California, but I don't know for sure. 
and it is an ice cream sandwich, but the uh, sandwich part is oatmeal cookies. Uh, and yeah. they're so... And, the, and it's... Uh, isn't it chocolate covered all the way around? Or I no? believe... Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole thing is covered in chocolate. That's correct. Yeah. They're pretty good. good. stuff. Yeah. The, oh, you good don't stuff. think the oatmeal is going to be that good. Um, anyways... Yeah, that, that's that's the Netflix side of of Sense8. It's a three-tiered pyramid uh, that brings us into Sense8. Number one is Netflix. Number two, the Wachowski sisters. Majon, what's your history with the Wachowski sisters? I like some of their movies. I wish I have seen more of them. Uh, I've seen all four Matrix movies. Yes. I can say that now. When You heard our pilot chats last week, by the way. We piloted Sensei on our Patreon yep. back in 2019. Is that right? Correct. That's correct. About three years ago, almost exactly to the release of uh, this episode, which is kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, at that time, there were only three Matrix movies. Can you believe it? Back in my day, a Matrix movie cost oh you a God. nickel. <laughs> and uh, now it costs you $20, and it's a wonderful thing. Only on HBO Max, by the way. So you don't need to do Netflix. Uh, go check okay. it out on HBO. Anyway, um, yeah, I've seen the Matrix movies. Have I seen another Wachowski sister film? No, no. <laughs> I don't think so. Have you not and seen I Speed feel Racer? Badly about that. No, and Patrick YouTube uh, YouTuber film guy loves that movie, and I, mm-hmm. I, I I like Patrick H. Wilson. I think he's a good opinions. You like Speed Racer, right? I love Speed Racer. It's one of my favorite um, films. Films. I'm like grinning at the camera like I said something really clever. <laughs> uh, I've seen all, every single Wachowski sisters written and directed movie except Cloud Atlas, which I, I really love the premise. And I read uh, a lot of the book uh, and then I burned out on it uh, in like 2012. Uh, this is when I was getting into ebooks very briefly. So I was like, oh, I don't, I don't care about this. It's electronic. It's fake. You've seen Jupiter Ascending? Yeah, I watched it for um, Fireside Friends like six or seven years ago. Oh, cool. It's awesome. You've seen V for Vendetta? I have. It's. I also watched it for Fireside Friends. We watched good movies. I didn't know they, they were didn't... involved with that film. They yeah, they didn't. It, it looks like. Yeah, they wrote it. It was directed by James, Jim, Jim McTeague. V for Vendetta is not great. And also it doesn't feel like a, it's a. It's definitely a Wachowski script, uh, but it's not a Wachowski directed film. And then Bound, which is my favorite Wachowski movie, is amazing fantastic everything i want out of movies and not just because it's gay you guys not just because it's gay relax relax it's also really sharply directed and written and i think it's clever and interesting and gay anyways uh <laughs> sensei number three the third the third pyramid uh the third part of the pyramid so we got the wikowskis we got netflix we have j michael straczynski who is co-show running this show along with uh lillian lana wikowski um our history with jms Majon and i is mutual we both uh, watched and covered Babylon 5 here on the chats feed back in 2018 into 2019. Uh, loved Babylon 5, his sort of baby project for his, his four-year journey through sci-fi television. And we've both read a decent amount of his comics, I believe. We've read, the you know, obviously, the famous Spider-Man 9-11 comic mm. and read his autobiography for our Patreon, Waiting for Superman. Uh, I read parts of it. Yeah, I didn't read That's the whole what thing. It was. Or I listened to parts of it on, uh, on audiobook. Audiobook, yes. Peter Jurisic. Yes, how much shout out to the king. I didn't. I want. I was about to say rest in peace to the king, but he is alive. Thank God. He's alive. Thank God. Yeah. So we've we've got some some stuff bringing us into the show, getting us excited about it. We really liked it when we piloted it a few years ago. We um, did. You guys heard that here, last week. We're here covering it. So mm-hmm. we uh, we didn't think it made sense to go down the pilot. Usually in these uh, 
these uh, episodes of chats, if you're new to us, we'll watch a cult classic TV show two episodes a week, and we'll spend half of our podcast uh, each week discussing each episode. We didn't think it made sense to go super in-depth, beat by beat, with the plot of the pilot of Sensate, because we did that on the pilot chat, so it was pretty thorough discussion. Mm -hmm. So we'll just sort of talk about, you know, coming back to it three years later, what are the things that still hold true for us? Or have new things popped out, new questions or things we're trying to look for? Um, and uh, and yeah. And just to clarify, I've never seen Sense8 before. Alan, you've seen the first season, right? Correct. So there is Sense8 is, is, a, is one season, a Christmas special extended episode, and then a second season. I've watched the first season and the Christmas special. That's it. Got it. Okay. Got it. Great. Um so yeah, I'm curious. Oh, should we read um a summary for the first episode? I like forgot how the podcast works. <laughs> <laughs> the first we, we this week on chats we watched Sensate season one, episode one, Limbic Resonance, and episode two, I am also a we. Limbic Resonance was written and directed by Lillian Law Nowakowski. It was also co-written by J. Michael Straczynski, as were every episode of this show, I think. We'll keep track of that though. And season one aired, as in it dropped all in one batch, on June 5th, 2015. Uh, so, Majong, nice. can you tell me what happened in Limbic Resonance, please? In this episode, after inexplicably seeing a vision of a woman that they have never met before, eight uniquely different people from across the globe start seeing and hearing things that they have not experienced. Hmm. Whoa. So, essentially, the premise of Sensate, as we understand it by the end of this pilot is that we have these eight characters uh, who are far flung across the globe, but somehow have this uh, kind of psychic link or are sensing each other's lives. Um, and that's what the first episode gives us, essentially. Yeah. Um, they're, they're called Sensates. S-E-N-S-A-T-E-S. Yeah, which we learn, in, I think, at the second episode, they give us that word, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, there are eight characters, just to run them down for folks. And Alan, thank you for bolding their names in your notes. We have Will Gorski, who's a cop. <laughs> That's all we know so far. He's a rough and tumble cop in Chicago with a sketchy past yeah. and daddy issues. Yeah. Riley Blue, who's like a, a EDM or electronic music musician. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's got cool hair and that's going on. And she does DMT or doesn't do DMT or she does do the DMT. She's getting wrapped up in like, some gang, not gang issues, but like betrayal, yeah, money, drug issues. Scary stuff. People get shot in her plot. Lito Rodriguez, who is uh, living in Mexico City. He is an actor. And we learn a little more about him in the second episode. Sun Bak, who is a businesswoman in Seoul, South Korea. Uh, we don't get a lot of her plot in this first episode. Uh, beyond sexism exists of yeah sec corporate sexism uh which are you know that's shitty um kala dandakar in mumbai um and we talked about this in our pilot chats but right now as of the pilot the main thing that we know about her is that she is going to marry someone who she doesn't necessarily want to marry she did not choose this mm -hmm. for herself kind of thing um wolfgang bog bogdano is mm -hmm. a german uh like 
safe cracker what do they call him like a, a box cracker. man yeah box man uh he has family ties to uh, what seems to be an organized crime syndicate in berlin uh mm-hmm. his father passes away at the beginning of the episode he doesn't like his father very much Mm-mm. we have Caffius onyango who lives in nairobi um takes care of his mother and drives the van dam which is a Jean-Claude Van Damme themed bus. Uh, awesome. And then our last sensate is Nomi Marks, who is a trans woman who lives uh, with her girlfriend, Amanita, in San Francisco, California. And we join them uh, in the midst of Pride uh, in SF, which is which is fun. Uh, yeah. So those are the eight the eight main characters. What um what were your feelings returning to this pilot and to this cast after having been away from the show for a few years and like re encountering those, those characters? Yeah. I, um, I really love these characters and and you're going to come to love them a lot more throughout this first season. I think that's like where the show succeeds over a lot of other Wachowski's works because, you know, they love movies and stories about the connection between all people. The matrix is about this. Jupiter ascending is about this. Cloud Atlas is about this. And uh, in a way, Speed Speed Racer is even about this. And this show starts out by printing in such broad strokes that I found myself just, like I said this in the pilot chats, like, yeah, this is fine. I'm just waiting for it to get good. But, like, you need to do it like this early on. You need to make everybody super duper broad. And then you give yourself time to to zoom into those characters. And that's also like a very much a JMS script writing thing is like you thought that these people were really straightforward and for this and that reason. But actually, there's a little bit more to each of them than you think. And uh, so, like, you know, I, I was watching this episode with a lot of like baited anticipation. And now having seen it, I mean, like three, if not four times, I'm like. I almost have memorized the plot beats of it. So I spent a lot of it just being like, yep, this part's good. This, like my notes are like really weirdly specific because all I had left to find were like stray details. But uh, I think it's, you know, it's a pretty strong pilot. And it still holds up pretty well. What about you? Yeah, I think what I was thinking about, I was kind of in the the thousand foot view of the show and also the micro details like you were saying. Um, and I was thinking about just like the narrative undertaking of telling eight stories at once. Um, and I think what I am seeing from having seen the second episode is it's not actually a show that's eight stories at once necessarily. That's just where we start. And also not every episode is going to have every character, which I think the pilot makes you feel like that's going to be the case. But in actuality, um, I think there were characters who didn't show up in the second episode. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Like we didn't see Sunbach or Caffius. or Caffius at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think the pilot is really dazzling. I think we talked in our pilot chats about how cool it is to see the show shooting on location around the world. Um, and you really feel the authenticity of like we're in tons of different places for real um and isn't that kind of awesome but uh it it is a little predictable like and i think that's part of the point is they want you to get the characters right away so that they can then take those characters out of their comfortable circumstances and put them in each other's lives and move them around the world and, and stuff um but what that ends up doing i think negatively in the pilot is 
it makes some of the characters or even especially the people in their lives feel stereotypical to me, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, which is kind of hard to avoid when you're trying to tell eight like act ones in a little over an hour. Um, And the fact that this pilot is like legible, followable, hits all those characters, like interweaves between them. Uh, you know, I think it's easy to criticize it because of those things, but it is really an impressive feat of storytelling to like make all of that work and storytelling both on the page and through the way that things are shot, uh, to like create the illusion of, uh, like thought moving from one scene to another, like when a sensation happens in one place, it being felt somewhere else and the way that the camera communicates that. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really like, a. you could only make a show like this as capably as it's done with folks like the Wachowski sisters or JMS or both of them together who like know how to make stuff work because yeah. I can't imagine it in anybody else's hands being nearly as clear as, as it is. Um, so I was impressed by the pilot, uh, even given, you know, some of the corner cutting or like oversimplification that has to happen just to get all the, the chess pieces on the board here. Yeah, it's a massive undertaking. And 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 just we said this before, but just choosing to do the on-location thing makes everything harder. There are scenes and there will be more scenes where people like see each other in each other's stories, and that literally did necessitate um flying people out back and forth and right. saying, "Well, I got to film your scenes in episode 7 net today cuz we're in Africa, and then you have to come with me and we're going to film episodes 1 and 2." Like it just the fact that this so, this show has any character and narrative consistency is like really astonishing because of how much travel had to happen and like narrative work to make that make sense. But um, I think production wise too, what's cool is you know the concept of a match cut, right? You cut the camera such that the next shot uh, connects in some way, material or otherwise, to the shot that it cut from, and uh-huh. doing that in the mind and stories of eight people whose literal lives are connected to each other leads to some really clever little moments and like I said, will just continue to happen. Um, so I really enjoyed like looking at this. This is a beautiful pilot. I was watching it with, um, I actually didn't watch the pilot with roommate of the podcast, Colin, but uh, I watched the second episode with him. And a lot of the, my notes were like, damn, the directing on this is sharp as hell. Uh, they just, they know how to, they know. How to, I, I, I will say, and I said this again in, in the pilot chats, the Wachowskis good at the interconnectedness of human beings, like mostly pretty bad at race, but, yeah. uh, you know they handle that to mixed results in a show that is literally about diversity and how we're all different types of people so um get something just to like put a pin in for now yeah i want to know if there were any other big things you had to say before we go into quick story notes about this episode i think um the other thing that i want to follow and and consider is you know when you do a show that's like okay we're going to spread it across the world and we're going to have eight characters you're having to make decisions ultimately about who those eight characters are. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, I think just something that like, I don't have a a decided take on necessarily, but that I want us to be thinking about of like 
the geographical origins of these characters, their gender identities, their sexual orientations, their religious affiliations, like the kind of panorama or the, the patchwork here of identities that's on display and how those things interact and how the show is like emphasizing or de-emphasizing certain commonalities or certain differences between characters, I think is telling about like, what is it the show wants to to investigate, right? Because you could tell a whole hell of a lot of stories from the base premise of there are eight characters all around the world who are psychically linked to each other and can sense each other's lives. Yeah. Uh, like at a base level, you're probably going to tell a story about like the power of empathy and human connection and like what it means to understand other people. But like the lens that you take on that, uh, I think can vary wildly from storyteller to storyteller. Um, and so for me, I'm just curious to, to kind of watch that unfold. Cause there are some characters where I can sort of see like, you know, why this character is here, what they can help us understand. And then other characters where it's like, you just wanted like a cool German safe cracker. Like mm -hmm. he's cool. He's but, like, hot. Right. but like, what's the, you know, like he feels like a cool movie character instead yeah. of like a, like a different kind of human story or perspective. I don't know. So I, I think that's interesting to me of, on the one hand, you have eight protagonists, which means that you have a broader perspective than most shows, but you also are still having to draw the line somewhere right because you you only have 8 you don't have 8 trillion uh or no. however many people there are on the planet so <laughs> uh is that let's right seven, let's, yeah let's call it 7 7 and a half billion billion sorry uh yeah so that's something that i'm just like i'm curious to see unfold and i think in the second episode we start to see some of those themes play out or at least they focus on a certain set of yeah. themes in episode 2 but that's the thing that I'm watching for as the show goes on. Yeah. I the thing I remember the most about season 1 besides like there the fact that there are two games happening here. Number 1, the first game is how do you make me like these characters? And the pilot does a good job of this by focusing on just their individual stories and not too much on the second game that's being played, which is what is Sense 8 the series about? Right. And like these are eight people who are being chased by a mysterious force that can go into their brain and they're being guided by another mysterious person. Uh, mm -hmm. And they were given powers by a third mysterious person. And all of those factions form their own little narrative that like we will talk about. But right now the pilot like blissfully doesn't focus too much on that. Instead, it's just like, hey, let's go character first before we go into lore, why they have the powers, what do the powers even mean and all that, like what connects them and why do we choose these specific eight people as opposed right. to like, this wasn't a, just, this is not a spoiler to say this. They didn't just hit random on the planet and pick eight random people from around the world. Right. Because then why are there no characters who live in mainland China? Exactly. Right. Well, the odds of that are staggering. Yes. Yeah. Um, they chose these people for a reason. And so did the creators of the show. You know, they wanted to tell a global story that features primarily like cities and not too many like rural areas. You know, that's why most of them live in metropolitan areas. Um, my other, my other like big thing is, is just that like the Wachowskis are they're so earnest. They so 
truly earnestly believe that like connection will set us free and will set our minds free and that was at the heart of like i said the matrix like their first their first big mm-hmm. film together and at bound actually they're the you know um another wachowski film is like if we can listen to each other if we can break past the barrier of communication we can find profound connection between every little human on earth and you know, I respect that earnestness. I want more of that in my television. I also know that writing a story like that can feel, as a viewer, like you feel you're watching something kind of awkward or corny or, you know, I hate to use the term, but the internet term cringy often applies to like certain visual details or plot details in Sense8. And like, this is a story being written by two trans women. And like, uh, Lana Wachowski was in the, literally in the process of coming out when they decided to produce the series. So like, well, I have a lot of attachment and love for Nomi Marks because in part she's based on Alana's life and Amanita is based on her partner. Uh, and so like it feels like in a cynical way it's baby's first trans narrative and that can be like kind of disappointing watching in 2022 and you say oh, there's so much more than this. But at the same time this is based on a real person's real life. The like literally in the year that she figured out she was trans of course it's awkward of course it's like really broad and cringy and like you know they make all the jokes that not the jokes but they there's like all the dead naming in the second episode is because that probably all really happened to her and like we don't talk about it but it's important to show that like sometimes you know plots and storylines about connection and empathy also mean that like you are acknowledging that some people just suck and they're weird <laughs> and you know it, it's it's like I don't know how to describe it, but it's it's just it's very vulnerable uh, in a way, and that's mm. something that like I love mm. about Nomi's storyline is it it doesn't shy yeah. away from just embracing that the discomfort of being trans and the weird feeling of existing in your body that comes from that, mm. and the beauty that comes from that as well. Yeah. Uh, so those are, those are like the big things. Um, did you have any quick like hit notes, new notes that you didn't reference or talk about in the first viewing? Um. I I want to double down on your uh, interpretation of Nomi's character and plot there. Yeah. Um, and I will say, I a knock that I had against the show that I'm like softening on a little bit. It's just it's very like explicitly sexual. Yeah. Uh, and graphically so, and I think there's something to be said for like specifically like uh Nomi and her girlfriend having a graphic sex scene in a TV show and how like important that is. I don't know. That actually yeah. felt uh I wasn't quite as just squeamish about there are naked people on my screen this time mm-hmm. around. And I was more like, you know, I respect the um what's happening here and and what that means in 2015 to, to have a moment like that. Um, yeah, it I was, think it is it's huge at the yeah. time. Yeah. I think it is still something that I'm like, okay, <laughs> we don't need to cut to the strap on flopping against the floor. Like there's some gratuity here, but it, you know, I think it's, uh, my opinion on that scene has has changed somewhat. Someone to it's point the that the out. truth the truth is in 2015 was such a big time for like trans people online to like understand each other and to come out and find community. Uh, mm. 
I know people and have known people that would like tweet stuff like that and like be explicit in that way that you're like, oh my God, I didn't need to know about how wet your strap on is. But the truth is, you know, this is what happens when you are repressed for your entire life and told that everything you think is wrong and you need to bury those thoughts in as deep down right. as you can. It's like, all right, well, this is my ultimate fuck you. And and the right. Wachowskis have always been big on on rebellion and, and going against the status quo. So like that's why it's explicit. I think that it's also like, you know, exciting and uh yeah. there's something a little bit titillating about it for certain people, but like it's also just how people how queer people are especially on the internet and mm-hmm. uh you know we can confront how that can be cool or interesting or also still awkward i, I don't think it's I- inappropriate to say that i still found that scene uncomfortable uh mm. but it's it's beautiful at the same time that's the, that's that's the magic yeah we can acknowledge all parts of of that i think yeah. is where i'm landing on it um mm-hmm. which yeah so i'm with you there um a couple lines that i liked uh, I want to know, first of all, a lot more about this Jonas guy and Angelica yeah. and the scary guy with the gray hair mm-hmm. at the beginning. Um, they'll be hunted, born or unborn. You can give them a fighting chance, born or unborn. So are there some people who weren't born sensate powers? Interesting Yeah. question. Mm-hmm. What does it mean for her to be giving birth to them? I'm wondering about that. Is she literally a mom to them? Or what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, There's a guy who says about Riley, she can spin for a girl, can't she? And another woke king who says she can spin, period. Uh, Thank you. 2015. My feminist feminist friends. Um, I believe that was Nick's, by the way. My one note about him is that now, in hindsight, I'm like, oh, that's Benjamin Stark from Game of Thrones, and that's Adar from Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. Oh, there you go. So, yeah. Cool actor cameo. Uh, uh, I love the line that Leto gets wrong when he says, Padre, I've come to blow your fucking brains out. That's good. Love. Oh, God. We'll talk about Leto. Yeah. Uh, the <laughs> Caffius's, uh friend who runs the bus with him. Mm-hmm says we don't need customers we need a facebook page (laughs) 2015 and then the bat van guy says you dumb fucks (laughs) no one gives a shit about van damme it's so mean i love that i love it's hilarious (laughs) uh yeah i still really like the safe cracking sequence uh intercutting with the car chase yeah and I like the guy. I like Wolfgang taking a break to watch the singing competition, even though the CG looks horrible on that singing show. Um, also, speaking of Hammy, yeah. how Hammy is that he's like, my biggest fear is being judged because my parents judged me as a kid. Anyways, I really like singing competition shows where they're judged. I don't know why. I just I don't I just like right, them. yeah it's that weird. was silly. Like, come on. <clears throat> my my hot take. This is my last uh, note on this episode. Uh, I just saw it in my notes. I don't think this show should use flashbacks. There's a few moments of flashback in the pilot. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't like it in this show. I think it's conf- it's the only part that was a little confusing. There Agreed. wasn't anything to visually distinguish them. Um and it was like a little on the nose. Uh and I don't know that we needed to to do those. So that that was my only thing is flashbacks it's interesting to me like when you establish a show and establish what's in the storytelling language for it or the toolkit um and 
to me, there were some flashbacks and I was like, I don't need, I don't need that. I don't need Wolf King's dad, like laughing at him at his recital. Oh my know. God. It's so corny. Uh, yeah. So that was, I don't want to keep saying critique. that. Cause that's like, honestly, half of the show is like, Oh, really? Oh, really? Really? Yeah. But... I, f- I, f- I fuck with it. I like a corny show. Mm-hmm. But, I prefer corny yeah. to grim dark. Obviously you, y'all yeah. know us. If you've listened to chats at all. Yeah. Um, that's wonderful. I think the only big one I had was actually the title of the episode, Limbic Resonance, is uttered by Nix to Riley. And yeah. it brings to mind this interesting thing that the show does where people in the universe totally actually understand what being a sensate is. They just don't have the words for it yet. Uh, mm. Like, Nix is somebody who, like, experiments with a lot of drugs and says things like, hey, you know, we're all connected, right? And you know that, like, we are experiencing sometimes when we don't know why we're crying it's because somebody else in another world that we're connected to is crying and they're really sad uh Mm. that's limbic resonance or like when you're with family and or they're not next to you and they experience something that's limbic resonance anyways if you take this dmt then you'll feel it really strong and it's like (laughs) it it, the show has a really interesting relationship to drugs and also like how drugs can open or close your consciousness um yeah something very it's again just very 2015 about it but like i want to look think about that more and how like sometimes the drugs do actually help and do actually make you feel more strong and connected to the people but also there is some like the classic flush your pills uh plot line stuff in the second episode which we'll Mm -hmm. talk about yeah um i think there was a guy at wolfgang's father's funeral who turns around and is mad at him and he says your dicks are gonna shrivel which um (laughs) is just an incredible line that needs to be shouted out Mm. um and then leto having a huge direction and really wanting a diet coke are two things that i can theoretically relate to maybe but (laughs) i can't (laughs) i can't explicitly say which one more than the other although let's just say i really like diet coke um uh what's it called wolf king's piss is the least realistic piss i've ever seen on television and i've seen a little bit of piss on television (laughs) (laughs) Uh, at sf pride they're eating mission burritos and then a fairy gives them drugs and when i went to sf this past uh month um at least one of those things happened (laughs) (laughs) you're so full of mystery today i think yeah i just i want people to think it's like a mystery show you know pick which one you think is gonna happen um, when I went with friend of the podcast, Justin to Dolores park, by the way, um, where we sat and had a picnic is almost exactly where Nomi and Amanita sit down and watch things happen in this episode. That's I was like, awesome. we did not plan that. We did plan. Like we're going to go to the quote unquote sensate park, but like I can show you photos later. It's eerie. I was like, did I stand? Whoa. I definitely That's sat cool. where they filmed this. It's cool. It's a great park. I recommend going if you're ever in San Francisco. Um, and then, yeah, speaking of, like, this was written by a trans person, the transphobia within the queer community, like, the woman who who is, like, it's just another yeah, man, another con, you know, policing. Male. Yeah. Wild. And also, like, bold but true. There is a lot of that in the community, and it sucks. Mm-hmm. Even today. Yeah. I mean, that was a moment where I... It was cool to see that in a show depicted and, and explored, and I think that line still hit me. Of I'm crying because I've never been defended before. Nobody's yeah. ever defended me. Um, still really beautiful. And also that's just one of those scenes where like, you know, because we're dealing with eight different plots, this side character went from like, oh, hey, to boom. Like, I am, I hate you because we have to go through the scene really fast. Like that scene felt really quick to me. 
when I wanted to sit in it a little bit more, you know? Yeah. And that's I think like the, a, like, the downside of, of per, this. Perfect setup. example of the side characters. I'm sorry. Uh, no, no just a, perfect example. Perfect example of the side characters like being rushed is is everything with Will Gorski's plot. Everything with the cop stuff is like yeah, embarrassingly yeah. bad. The yeah. cops hate gangbangers. Gangbangers hate cops. That's all it is. It's like, what? And then the, the nurse being like, we've been a better hospital since we stopped taking kids like him like do not don't even like i said the rakowski's not extremely good at handling racial issues at all yeah i was not a fan not at all um and then i didn't catch this before (laughs) the final montage with all the connectedness like wow they're experiencing things is scored by uh sigur rose which like come on guys if you're familiar with their music is very like it's like the music equivalent of Sensate. Like, oh, we're all in this together. It's all <laughs> they're like a post rock band from Reykjavik. Like they're that. <laughs> it's hilarious. Anyways, that's all we got for this episode. Reykjavik, uh, Reykjavik Iceland. We're gonna learn more about Iceland in Sensate. I can't wait. I, that's I I sensate I can't wait. Let's take a brief musical break, and we will be right back to discuss. I am also a we. Like, oh, we're all in this together. It's all <laughs> they're like a post rock band from Reykjavik. Like they're that. <laughs> it's hilarious. Anyways, that's all we got for this episode. Reykjavik, uh, Reykjavik Iceland. We're gonna learn more about Iceland and Sensate. I can't wait. I, I sensate I can't wait let's take a brief musical break and we will be right back to discuss I am also a we Welcome back to Chats 8. The second episode we watched this week was Sense 8 Season 1. So many fucking numbers. Sense 8 Season 1, Episode 2, I Am Also a We. Written by Lily and Lana Wachowski and J. Michael Straczynski. Directed by Lily and Lana Wachowski. It aired along with the rest of Season 1 of Sense 8 on June 5th, 2015. Alan, what happened in I Am Also a Wee? In this episode, Nomi's fortunes take a dark turn as she is diagnosed with a brain illness by a quack doctor. Meanwhile, the rest of the Sensate's connections become stronger and more dangerous. Oh, uh-oh. <laughs> so this is, this, it's not to say that this is a two-part pilot, but there are crucial details in this episode that uh, we didn't get in the first one. And I'm glad, I'm so excited to finally talk about them. The show. <laughs> the show. Let's first talk about the fact that there were a couple of characters missing from this, right? So, you know, a show being released all at once means that they don't necessarily have to have everybody in every episode. It doesn't work like that for union rules. Uh, like, you know, people can still get paid in episodes that they're not in because um, they're just part of the. They're all on main cast. All eight of the actors are in main cast. Uh-huh. But that means that narratively, we occasionally have certain plots that sag or that are not anywhere for maybe one or two or three episodes in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, in this episode of Sense8, we hear nothing from Sunbach or Caffius, um, mm-hmm. two of my faves. What are they up to? Who knows? Uh, mm-hmm. Sun last episode saw a chicken from Caffius, actually. 
and he is still presumably dealing with uh, the Batman and the John Claude, the John Claude Van Damme. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you saying that this came out, uh, the season's coming out all at once, helps me to contextualize why the show would just kind of rest some characters for an episode or two because like if people are binging this show then what's the difference Mm -hmm. uh it it makes some sense to do that um eight sorry makes some eight sense eight to do that um and maybe they just aren't horny because he you're not allowed to be in this episode if you're not at least a little bit, you know, wanting to get get it going on here. Ladies, ladies, gentlemen, I guess, raise your hands if you're horny. And then all six characters in this episode raise their hands. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we'll we'll see them next week, I suppose. Presumably. Yeah. Let's go down the order. Um, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna do this episode character by character because we're still not at the point in the series where everyone's like in each other's brains and being like, "Hey, what's up? I'm Sun. Hey, I'm Wolfgang. I'm Ryan." Right. right. Let's start with uh, the girl of the hour. It's Nomi Marks. Uh, yeah, this one feels like Nomi is the central character of this episode. I would I would make that case. Do you yeah. agree? Yeah, I think that often that's how I remember the show is that Nomi is the main character, but that may just because be because of where I was in 2015. And like she was the character that was most interesting to me uh, for a long time. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think just she like time wise definitely occupies the most narrative weight in this episode. Because she uh, well, first of all, we learned that her, her, her hustle, her career is that she is a and I winced when I read this. Uh, she's a hacktivist. Or she was a hacktivist at one point. Um, oh, that's what like, was going on there? Yeah, early in the episode when they're talking about like what jobs you do, she's like, oh, you know, I'm a hacktivist. Uh, remember earlier when I said that Lana Wachowski had just transitioned and was like being introduced to the queer community in a big way? Uh-huh. Uh, this is like a very, very common trans girl stereotype. That's often true, is that they're good with computers, but like, <laughs> and like that they're hackers. It's all part of the like body mod, you know. It's it's been a, str- a trope since like the early '90s, if not earlier, of sure, like, sure. you know, if you can change your body, then you can change computers. Like, huh? <laughs> it's just like a corny stereotype, but the whole show is that. Um, and I remember thinking that at the time, even like really in 2015, we're still gonna do that. Um, they also talk about her uh, writing a speech for the the San Francisco Pride Parade. Um, huh which is cutting back and forth between Lido's plot. And uh, my favorite moment of these two episodes is when she's reading out the speech and at the end she says, and that is why we march for the pride. And then the beat drops in the like EDM song playing in the background. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of that clip. I cannot find it. I tried Googling it before the episode, but there was a DJ who like, who like said some like really grim shit, like rest in peace to like King George or something. And then, mm-hmm. like, drop the beat at his concert, and it was so funny. And I really, <laughs> if someone can find it for me, please send it over. I think I know um, what you're talking about. Yeah. So this record is in honor of George Floyd, and I really hope we can see more unity and more peace when already things are so difficult. So, shout out to his family. 
it was that, but in a show. Like they chose to do it like that. And, yeah. You know, I, I I appreciate the earnestness of Nomi's plot and being like, yeah, like uh, doing something for pride doesn't just mean like wearing colors and getting on a motorcycle and driving around. It also means like what is like being an activist constitute? What does being a writer mean? And how mm-hmm. do you what what is like being a good writer? And how, what do you bring to the community with that talent? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was all like fairly interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it goes into like turbo tropey territory, right? Because she falls off of this motorcycle during the parade ends up in the hospital where her mom and sister uh, find her with this guy. And they're telling her about this guy, Dr. Metzger, who reveals that she has supposedly has um, a like really bad brain issue uh, mm-hmm. that will require her to get what is ostensibly as Jonas reveals to her a lobotomy. And um, this scene is just extraordinarily uncomfortable. How did you feel about um, learning Nomi's dead name and hearing her get misgendered by her mom in a really uncomfortable and realistic way? Yeah, it sucked. Um, It was, yeah, it was just really uncomfortable. I think it does, like, Nomi's plot ends up being this sort of, like, thriller plot or, like, this, I don't know, like a horror movie almost of, like, I'm held in, not to, you know, distance it too far from reality because this is obviously grounded in people's real lived experiences. But I just mean in terms of like how it ends up being shot and paced and scored and all those things, like how it becomes cinema-fied. And I think that this scene does a lot to lay the groundwork uh, of like unease and discomfort uh, that's then used in those later scenes as the episode has like ratcheted up the tension to Mm -hmm. make it this more like kind of uh, scare, genuinely scary experience. Um, But yeah, this scene was, was upsetting. And I think it does a lot to communicate one of the aims of the show, which is like to get us to understand the lived experience of other people and Mm -hmm. like, be in their bodies, in their perspectives, in their minds, in their hearts and souls. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I thought it was effective to me anyway. Yeah, I agree. I think it 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 definitely nowadays we we've seen the like depth of trans narratives advance so much since then, but I mean But for twenty fifteen, you know, this is important this is- that this is on Netflix on TV. A thousand percent. Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. And, and you know, it's 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 all the tropes, though. Like, it's it's the supportive um, younger sister, Tegan. I love that her name is Tegan, by the way. It's the <laughs> doctor refuses to help you and is trapping you in the hospital. That's like a horror movie plot, like you were saying. And then it's just the mom repeatedly misgendering her and, and, and calling her by her dead name. And, being, and, like, it's the thing where you watch Amanita defend her from the other people and you go like, wow, it's so good. Like you watch that in isolation in the pilot and you say, wow, it's yeah. so corny. Like it's so like simple. It's very wholesome and sweet. But like, why do I care? And then you remember that Nomi is the same person who like goes home to her mom who refuses to acknowledge her existence as it is. Yeah. And so like, of course, that moment actually struck a chord with her and felt profound because her day to day life is hellish with her family. Uh, yeah. And that's why she wants to get She's been trying to get away so bad. So for so long and like. When it comes to the United States medical system, sometimes you can't. You need there. They they make the the whole thing about like you have to use my insurance if you want to get this, which means using right. your dead name and me financially supporting you 
It's 100% yeah. her mom manipulating her and, and trying to get her to need her, which is, right. like, profoundly fucked, you know? Yeah. Yeah, this, this plot does a lot to communicate the kind of institutional hostility that happens uh, towards trans people and queer people more broadly. Um, with even just with the doctor saying, no me, is it? Like yeah. that, that sort of like microaggressive moment um and then the this like legal bind that nomi finds herself in where she tries to release herself from the hospital and is told well the doctor and your family signed a thing and so they can keep you here even though you like don't feel a sort of connection to them you actually feel contempt for your mother there's this like set of legal rights that we're conferring upon your mother because she's she's your mother and that's it um and yeah i i, I think this plot you know it wears a lot on its sleeve um and like you're saying i would like to think that you know if the show were to hit netflix in 2022 uh, this would be a lot more nuanced uh, of a plot or there would kind of be more uh, variety of perspective happening here or just portrayed in a, yeah, a more nuanced way. But uh, I think it very clearly communicates that, that uh, theme of like medical care can be a, a dangerous place for folks like Nomi uh, and, uh, it definitely was affecting to me when I when I watched it because of that. Yeah, and I think that it's important to acknowledge again just the context. Like, uh, it we, we have we have so many stories like this of of queer people suffering of 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 transphobia being rampant amongst families and friends and all that, and and like showing that it comes from the family and not from like some mysterious man on the street is important and nuanced. Yeah. But, like, compare this to example something like um, 2022's Heartstopper, which is about two uh, young gay boys in uh, in England and how that, like, we talked in our Should You Watch episode about that series, how, like, not every story has to be, not every queer love story, queer story has to be about tragedy and heartbreak and violence. For sure. For sure. And, like, yeah, Nomi's plot definitely treads in that, but it acknowledges through characters like Amanita that, like, you have people who love you. Amanita, like, free, is going to free her out of this hospital, it seems like. She has right. an ally who allows her in and lets her use the phone because, like, you know, you maintain your allies and they will help you for the long run, you know? So right. it's it's treading in both. It's not just about, like, sadness and it's not just, hey, Nomi's going to, you know, have something horrible happen to her. It's also, yeah, but people can help you and get you out of that whether it's breaking you out of the hospital which you know nowadays i would say there's this stereotype of like if you want to free your mind or if you want to be yourself then you need to throw away your pills and i don't love that but yeah. the sh it's not really about that and I, I i can respect that aspect of it right and it it's i think you know they're trying to ha make that duality happen in this plot of like the things that are dangerous and the ways that we resist or free ourselves from those things. Um, and the, the kind of joy that counterbalances it. Um, and I think that's been a part of Nomi's plot from the first episode with, uh, the way that we have these like kind of rapturous moments of observing pride and 
engaging with it. And we have the same thing in this episode. And in the pilot, there's then that dance performance that Nomi visits um, that I believe is a, a reflection on the AIDS crisis, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yep. Um, and this plot certainly feels like, to me at least, like it's trying to evoke some kind of similar um, themes about the relationship between the queer community and like these sorts of structures um, in our society that are ostensibly meant to help people, but in reality often uh, overlook them, ignore them, harm them, confine them, all of these sorts of things. So I, it's interesting to see that duality play out. And at times there's a dissonance and at times there, it, I think they do it well. Totally. Uh, yeah. It's no me. I, I want to see her do well. And I, I think that I know, I know that this plot goes good places, but it's in a sad, sad position right now. Um, do we want to move on to talk about Lido? Yeah. So Lido, um, we learned some stuff about Lido. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah. So when we had done that pilot chats back in 2019, I didn't draw, I, I managed to hold back from a gel and I've told him in the interim because I have no self-control. And <laughs> um, Leto is a closeted gay man, and uh, that is why he uh, had that erection in the first episode. That is why he refuses to kiss girls and have sex with women. Um, his plot this episode primarily concerns his relationship with a woman named Daniela, who is his sort of arm candy and later agrees to basically be his beard. Um, for those who don't know, a beard is a you know usually a straight person who uh, is in a public romantic relationship with a gay person so that they can, you know, have a private romantic or sexual life with uh, other gay people. Mm. Um, and so Daniela um, is like really, really, really down bad for Lido in this episode and like, <laughs> like literally chasing him to his apartment and, you know, yeah. threatening to get the, the paparazzi in there. And she's like, I'm going to have like really kinky hot sex with you. Uh, she gets into his room and finds his wonderful boyfriend uh, who's there and he tries to cover it up for two seconds before going, ah, it's fucking whatever. And instead of, you know, this is the earnestness of Sensei, instead of her being mad or worried or freaked out, um, she's extremely turned on by this and deeply interested in being their like shared <laughs> beard slash straight friend um, yeah. as they enjoy uh, a new friendship blossoming. Mm -hmm. Uh surprised were you surprised i know i told you but like in hindsight all the stuff of the first episode where he's like i can't kiss you i'm like guys <laughs> it's not subtle it's not subtle at all yeah i mean it definitely helps you to understand like <laughs> the part of the first episode where his co-star comes in in the nun costume and she's like maybe i can help you with that and it's like did i put in the wrong video like what's happening right now <laughs> Uh, and then, you know, you realize like, oh, okay, it's, they're doing that on purpose, mm -hmm. um, so that they can then do this here. It, it's interesting to me that this is like a reveal, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that's, there's something about that narratively that's kind of, I don't I don't have an opinion necessarily on if it's a good or a, a bad thing, but I mean this was all let's remember this was all released at once. So like you just hit next right. episode and you go, Oh, he's gay. Why didn't you just tell me that in the first episode? Because the dramatic tension is funny. 
Right. I, I think that's what I'm sort of wondering is like, do we gain something by being in the dark for an episode about yeah. Leto's sexuality? Right. Um, and I, I think so, because I think it puts us in the position where we develop the like kind of outsider perspective on him as this like macho actor guy that mm-hmm. other people have. And then we're like, oh, that's what everybody thinks is going on. But actually, this is, you know, his real self behind closed mm-hmm. doors. Um, so I guess that's the justification. But it did feel a little weird for them to be like, whoa, there's a guy in the bed. <laughs> you know, like it's almost yeah. a little a little cheesy. Um Oh, it's but very, crazy. very tender. Oh my God, yeah. what a nice little scene between these two, these two beautiful men just loving each other. I lo- Fernando I lo- is amazing. I the guy uh, that his boyfriend, and also yeah. Daniela is one of my favorite characters in the show. Just like she's she a side character that breaks fun. out of, she she breaks out of the role of side character into like, you know, just amazing person of her own. Uh, and yeah. I love I love her whole deal. I love their the, the friendship between the three of them and how that works and how it doesn't feel like, you know, like Leto is an example of a gay guy who's not he's not like every stereotypical gay man. He's not mm-hmm. effeminate. He's actually like super masculine and is in traditionally masculine action movies. But he has to be closeted to do that. And it makes you think about like, well, how many masculine action movie guys are closeted gay men? Uh, famously in Hollywood, the answer is a, a lot of them actually, hmm. uh, and we just don't hear about that. So it's like really interesting. And and hearing they're going to go on to like deal with it. how do you do this in the public eye? How do yeah. you continue to maintain a beard and maintain a homosexual relationship? In, yeah, while being a like prolific uh, action man is is like super cool. Yeah, I I kind of don't like want Leto to be a sensate and interact with the rest of the plots. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's I like, what? what, uh, Well, let's just watch this movie where it's like the three of them and they have this like kind of buddy comedy situation together. That sounds fun. Yeah. It, I, Sensei at its best is like eight different little movies that you want to watch that just happen yeah. to switch into each other, you know? Yeah. But um, I think it's also going to be about how like, Connecting to these other people is going to help you in your plot line. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just that you have your plot line and you struggle or you figure things out and it's good. It's like, well, I need your help. Okay, let me ask Nomi for help. Because there's there's a brief cut hinting at that idea when Nomi's talking about transphobia and the idea of like being in the closet and, and all that stuff. And then they mm-hmm. cut Toledo and you're like, oh, and that's the kind of match cut that I was talking about in the first half that I love. Yeah. It's like. Hey, it's connected via the camera and your brain knowing how to put two and two together. That's all it takes. Right. I have a I have a thematic question. Uh and I'm this is still cooking a little bit. Um it's cooking. But when Nomi gives her monologue about her own experience uh growing up vis-a-vis religion, the relationship with her parents, how she's treated in the world as someone who's trans, it's this like this affirming and defiant speech about her trans identity and about pride. And during that, we're like, that is like the being overlaid over us cutting between different sensates as well. Mm -hmm. And 
I'm curious about like, is this show drawing a connection between being a sensate and being queer? Like, is there something there to explore? You know what I mean? Because if the images and the words are being combined there, they must be for a, a reason, but I'm finding it a little hard to draw those lines. And maybe that's something that gets fleshed out later. But um, that was inter- interesting to me that we're showing characters who at least I don't know to what extent they are queer or not, um, but they're being visually brought into the we, and that's the title of the episode, I'm also a we. In a way that is intriguing to me, and I wonder if that is ultimately like gonna make thematic sense or not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Sensei. Mm-hmm. Very sensei. <laughs> Do you have thoughts on that? I'm, I'm curious about your perspective on that. I think it's what the viewer brings to the show. That's like what I like about mm. Sensei. Is it's it's not always explicit about the themes and those things. Sometimes it's too explicit, honestly. But sometimes it's just like, hey, you want you can connect what it means to be trans and what it means to be connected to seven other people on the earth. There is something in there about like feeling your body and feeling your sexuality and understanding that you, the solo you, are not the only one inside of your head. And we are all embodying different lived experiences and learned experiences. And that's why gender is fake or it's constructed, you know, it's socially constructed. Mm-hmm. Because we mm-hmm. all make our reality together. We make truth together. So mm-hmm. that's where I think the two things connect to each other. Um, but ultimately with Sensei, I just think that it's going to keep giving you those crumbs and then you're the one to assemble them into meaning. Uh, the show is not going to like tell you how to feel about it. There's not going to be a scene right, where Nomi is like, I feel more connected to men and women now because I am connected to seven other people. Mm. Just, it's just something for you to think about. And yeah. it is there. That makes sense. Um. Anyways, yeah, Lido, my bo- my I want to say my boyfriend, but he's happily spoken for, so I'm not gonna say Lido, my boyfriend. Lido, my friend. I wish I was Daniela in this situation. Actually, uh, the scene where they are on the red carpet and he's pretending to be straight is so funny, where he's like, you know, we have a private relationship. They're like, are you guys seeing each other? And he's like, we're you know friends, really good friends. <laughs> it's like. <laughs> Oy, 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 oy. I love it, but it's so corny. Um, that's my main note on Lido. Do you want to move on to the next person? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's Kala time. Kala, we didn't talk about this here, but we talked about it in the pilot chats. She um is Hindu and she's praying to uh is it me? Mm. Ganesh in the pilot? Ganesh. Yes. Yeah. She's praying to Ganesh in the pilot. She has a big connection to them and they're trying to like confine this person the, in, into their into one of their deities that like hey i don't know if i love this guy i'm performing a lot of these marriage rituals i feel like there's love for me out there somewhere else uh uh-huh. a lot of her, her plot is about the the ritual of romance and the ritual of marriage and that's why they said in india is you know there are a lot of complicated marriage rituals and uh, that all culminates in a really beautifully shot but really goofy um, dance sequence during um, the sort of like pre-wedding ceremony that she has uh, mm-hmm. with, uh, I wrote her hus- her um, fiance's name down somewhere. I don't have it handy, but uh, 
they do a dance together. Their parents seem to be into it. Although her uh, husband or her fiance's dad is uh, seems to be like some sort of sketchy businessman, maybe, which right. I can only read from him having a suit and seeming kind of like sketchy. <laughs> I really <laughs> yeah. know about that. I mean, and because there must be something wrong with him, right? Because her fiance otherwise seems like a pretty great guy. Like he's mm-hmm. handsome. He dances good. He's nice. He's romantic. It's, you know, he's got a lot going for him, but he's got a creepy business dad and he must be doing creepy business too, probably, or something. Rajan is her husband's, her fiance. Rajan. That's his name, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I can't remember if it's the dad or the or the fiance or both who are sketchy, but you get the feeling that you're like, mm-hmm. oh, it, it can't work this cleanly. Right. Oh, there's like stuff coming up. That's so stupid. Oh, okay. <laughs> Kala's plotline is not my favorite. That's just what I'm going to say. About okay. That. Fair. It's fair. Um, I like the actress. I think she's like having fun with the role and it's she's beautiful. Mm. The like costuming in these scenes is beautiful. The wedding, the dance sequence is really well shot. It really is. Um, yeah. But my take just always comes back to the Wachowskis aren't great about race. And this stuff feels like somebody read a couple of Wikipedia pages about Indian marriage rituals and was like, we did the work guys. We figured out. And like, maybe they did a lot of research, but it just, it feels by the numbers. Here's how like a Bollywood marriage plot line. Happens. Yeah. Yeah. I also am kind of getting the vibe. I think another lens to look at sensate through is that sensate, like you said, sensate is eight different movies, but it's really like, eight different genres of movie in a way yeah because like different plots are at times shot differently from each other um or yeah the visual language is just different like the camera changes the frame rate changes during the bollywood dance number it's like shot in a way that other scenes aren't it feels like the show is kind of also like a genre play space for yeah. the Wachowskis a little bit. Um, and I think there are some spaces where that's kind of fun and I could watch Riley run around and have pseudo matrix adventures all day. Like they know how to make that look cool. And then in Kala's plot, it's sort of like, okay, like you're capable filmmakers. You made this look and feel cool, but it doesn't feel like your thing you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh so that that's also something that i'm at least watching for is like you know how do you make this work where it's like uh over here there's a heist movie happening and over here it's uh, there's a rom-com and it's all one show mm-hmm. K- kind of thing um yeah well yeah and i think that the cuts between them also indicate like which plots the writers felt more confident telling because like will's plot doesn't cut into other people that much right now because like the people writing this knew how to do a cop drama, but it almost feels like they can't, they don't want to just do a Bollywood story. So they like have to integrate Wolfgang into Kala's plot. They like literally have to, because otherwise they would just write a buy the books. Like they're like, okay, we we don't want to, we can't just do it. So let's make it unique and let's do our, let's do our little sensate spin on this one. Mm. Uh, And like Riley's is this sort of like late eighties crime European thriller film. And, Every time you're not sure what to do with Riley, you just punctuate it with her listening to other people because she's a DJ. She keeps an ear out for things. Um, 
so like introducing Wolfgang, it, like Kala seeing him outside of her, out of this, outside of this pre-wedding ceremony, and being like, "Who is this mysterious man? Why is there like a white guy in Mumbai right now?" Also, I don't want to marry my husband, my this guy. You know, sorry, I don't know the difference between husband and fiance. I've never been married before. One of them is there's a ceremony <laughs> at some point. <laughs> yeah. Um, briefly, just to touch on it, Wolfgang in being introduced to Kala's plot is also um, having a little bit of sex, a little bit of like we get to see that actress, butt, which is kind of fun, kind of flirty. Uh, not too much to say about him, though, in this episode, other than he's he's starting to feel the connection happen. A lot of season one is like waiting for people to feel it and going, oh, OK, there's the moment they found it. And he got to have it sooner than most of the other characters. Uh-huh. Uh, why? Who could say? Maybe there's a reason. Maybe just because, like I, you were saying, like, what is Wolfgang's plot? It is, hate my dad, <laughs> glad he's uh-huh. dead, I love to crack saves. Okay, we cracked a safe, now what? Like, while his plot is just not going anywhere, they might as well put him in, right. in another story. Yeah, we kind of ran out of movie. Like, he did the whole heist movie, and then he's like, <laughs> okay, I guess now I'm going to, like, have sex or something and be sad. And then he sad. says, I... He tells the girl after um, after they have the sex, he says, I'm really craving Indian food, which like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Something with my senses. All eight of them. Um, Will has a bad plot senses? line. Okay. Uh, okay, I got you. Sense. Oh, fuck. <laughs> 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 I messed up. Do we even want to talk about Will? I hate Will so much. He's my least favorite sensei by a country mile. And that's not just because he's a cop, although it is because he's a cop. Yeah. That's just boring. The cop stuff is so boring and also kind of bad. Like, I wouldn't watch this show, you know? It's boring for cop stuff. Right. The other plots, if you were just like, hey, here's this show, it's about this guy who drives around the Van Dam bus. Yes. I feel like, take me to Nairobi. I love it. Please. Uh, but yeah, Will in Cop Chicago, I'm a white cop guy. I'm not super curious about it. But I think that's why they have him doing, to their credit, like that's why he's the one who's doing the like core lore story stuff. Yes. Right. Because, like, what else is going on? I mean, we're building up this stuff with his dad, Joey Pants. Joey, Joey Pants, Pants is right? in this show. Yeah, it is. Joey, Joe Pantliano. Yep. Acting his pants off, by the way. I mean, at first I was like, Joey Pants, come on. Um, he slaps the poop bag the on Matrix, the table. By the way. Yeah, yeah he slaps the poop this. bag. And he's great in that scene where he's slapping the poop bag and talking to his son and being like, hey, don't follow this thing. He's acting his... Like I said, I'm going to say it again, he's acting his absolute ass off inside those pants. <laughs> and uh, we love Joey Pants because of that. But, uh, yeah, I don't need to watch Will talk to his partner and his partner be like, man, another day freaking doing what we do. Um, but that's why he's doing the Jonas stuff. My yeah, he's investigating Jonas. Jonas. By Jonas. You know what's, what's extra messed up? Will's plot what? is exactly Kevin Jr.'s plot in the leftover season one. Uh, he what has are you a dad. About? He has a dad who is also a cop who says, "Hey, I know you're having visions. Don't lean into those visions too much. It could go really badly for you." I, That's it. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's much better in the leftovers. Yo, of though. course. Yeah, because it so it also better. it lampshades that and acknowledges the like the problems with that. Whereas this is literally. 
my dad has also had visions before. He thinks that's weird. He, he's just another cop. I'm a cop. How many times in these two episodes does Will do something because he has the authority as a cop, even when he's not on duty? Keeping a gun next to your nightstand, that's not safe. Kicking open somebody's door and you say, I'm a cop, and then you think you're allowed to kick their door open. Uh, you know, taking somebody to a hospital and forcing them to be treated because I'm a cop. Uh, yeah. Everything, every scene here, or like investigating the scene where he thinks he saw Jonas, Jonas and Angelica. Why can he do that? Because he's a cop. It It's entirely a skill set that they gave a character. Like I talked in the Leftover season one about like, uh, oh, they, they make... Um, they made Kevin Jr. a cop instead of the mayor, like he was in the book, because you get cops can do certain things. They can wield guns in public. They can, uh, you know, assert dominance over people in, in like structurally acceptable ways. And that's exactly what Will's whole purpose in the show is, is like, we need to do some investigating. We have access to police computers. That's it. There's no character to him beyond that. And they're almost, to my memory, there almost right. never is. Right. We need someone who can chase Jonas out of the place and do a car thing. And when they're in the so convenience store, he goes like, you know, I can arrest you. I'm a cop. And it's like, <laughs> Jonas is like a being, dude. He's not a dude you can just arrest. <laughs> a being. A concept. Oh, my God. My that's Naveen Andrews is so charming and also kind of hot. Can I say that? Yeah, of course. Yeah, he's hot. He's Saeed on Lost. He's one of my top five characters on Lost. Ah. That's why I really like him. But he actually gets to do his natural British accent in this. I remember because in that he's doing a um, Arab accent. And uh, I wanted to take a breath after that. <laughs> he's doing an Arab accent. Um, and I heard interviews with him, and he's like, hello, I'm Naveen Andrews. And I was like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so at least he's allowed to be British in this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so Will's you know, investigating stuff, and then uh, Jonas is able to escape him because he's, he's like, hey, just be aware. Uh, some bad stuff's going to happen. You need to be ready. Don't chase me. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, I don't. I think his his that that ends the episode where he's like running into somebody's car. Although there we there is a brief check in with yeah, there's, Riley. Yeah, there's some like booping and bopping between him and Jonas's car. Like Jonas goes into his car and he's like, "What the fuck?" And then he boops into Jonas's car and Jonas boop, is yeah, like, boop. "Nice, dude. That's fucking awesome." Now you're gonna crash. Uh, I love where he's like, "If you're in here, who's driving your car?" And then, yeah, they're doing some, like, straight people stuff with Will and Riley <laughs> looking at each other in the mirror. Oh, you picked up on it. He picked up on it. <laughs> it's like, okay. Can we go, back, like, back to the bed with the three cool people who are, like, sipping wine and figuring out their situation? I like that. Yes, please. The straight romances in the show are disappointing. Uh, all two of them. <laughs> But it's like because it's a show that's so diverse and interesting that when it gets like hetero, it's just like, oh, okay, yeah, I guess they would love each other. That makes some sort of sense. I, I <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, Riley is dealing with the fact that she just watched all of her like friends get shot, shoot each other. Yeah, true. There's drugs. She might be the person that the police are looking for now. Uh, we don't know much about her backstory yet. She's got a backstory. I I think I end up liking Riley more. Uh, eventually we'll do a ranking of the sensates. I think we should do that at some point, maybe at the end of the season and then check in on. Why, the why don't we give our, why don't we check, do our current ranking right now? Okay. You got it. Let me pull up a list of all eight of them. Uh, okay. I have all eight in front of me. 
Have we talked about everybody's plot? Yeah, we did. Well, okay. yeah, that's it. It's not. It's not a very complicated episode. Yeah. Okay. Um. How about I say a name and then we'll put that at the top, and then you just tell me if the next person goes above or below that. We'll do that's king of king of the queen of the hill, royal of the hill style. King of queen style. King of we're queen a TV style. Pod, we're a TV podcast. We have to do a king of queen. We'll style. do Kevin James style, and by Kevin yeah, James, okay. I mean Laura Remini style. Oh. Uh, number one, Sunbeck. She wins. The Queen of Kings. Congratulations. Okay. So, yep. <laughs> Leah Remini. No. I'm so sorry. I said Laura Remini. Yeah, Remini. come on. I knew it sounded weird. Number two, Caffius, above or below Sun? Above. Above. Agreed. Okay. Number three, Nomi Marks, above or below Sun? Um... I will say right now for me, above sun below caffius okay yeah i agree caffius is my number one with a with a bus right now <laughs> okay uh lita rodriguez number one for me Tough. okay i just i love it's it's i'm also talking about his plot yeah i'm loving i'm loving the lito plot the lito plot's very fun yes kala i forgot her last name kandekar i think uh above or below sun this is where it's tough because Sun didn't get up, didn't get seen. All she got was a guy going, women can clope and ugh, yuck. Um, Kala right now is ahead. I think let's let Sun and Caffius, I guess, sit out of this one because they didn't get. They didn't get a whole plot for a whole entire episode. Yeah, so we'll just let them sit out of the rankings right now. Okay. Uh, Kala's below Nomi. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So right now we got Lido number one, number two, Nomi number three, Kala. Next up, Wolfgang. Below Kala. Yeah, I do so like his friend. You'll, you'll you'll like his. His friend friend's more. cool. That's his brother, isn't it? Or no? I think so. Maybe. Maybe not. Will, uh, Will is below Wolfgang. Below Wolfgang. Riley is below Wolfgang. Above, above Will. Oh. Uh, yeah, I was gonna put her above Wolfgang. Yeah. No. Okay. I feel you. Yeah. I think that's that's what it is right now, yeah. Three, four, five, six. Okay. Lido number one, number two, Nomi, number three, Kala, number four, Riley, number five, Wolfgang, number six, Will. With notable absences, Sun and Caffius, uh, because they didn't get an episode. So yeah. we'll update this list over time. Yeah. Great. Let us know at home if you you guys who's your favorite. I know this will change drastically as we go on. Any stray notes on uh, the second episode here? Oh, Neat saw Jonas on Nomi's, Nomi's camera, which means that Jonas doesn't Yeah, exist. Jonas is real. Jonas is real. He's not just an imaginary man. Um, we didn't talk about the theme song. It's very like, look at all the connected people. They There's Twin Peaks, San Francisco, and a large crowd of people in India, and two gay men licking an ice cream. <laughs> I also love the two guys licking the ice cream. It's the best, it's the best part. Everyone loves it. It's the best I part. wrote about it in my notes for both episodes. In, this, in the second episode, I was like, I can't tell if this is the same set of images as the first one, and then we got to those guys eating the ice cream, and I was like, okay, yeah. We don't even know if they're gay. It's just two bearded men licking an ice cream. Maybe they were just friends. Yeah, I yeah, I don't even need to know. I mean, more power to you. Whichever reason it is, you're eating ice cream, conserving time to melt, love, whatever you got going on Split there. Split the calories between the two. Sure. Split the calories. Yeah, I'll I'll share an ice cream. 
uh, UFLS is the name of the brain illness that um, Nomi's misdiagnosed with. Mm-hmm. It is something sad to think about that trans people are often misdiagnosed with mental illness. Uh, mm. Shows not confident enough or prepared right now to talk about the extent to which that can go wrong. But uh, for now, it's UFLS is a brain disease and maybe Nomi has it, but most likely she doesn't. And this guy sucks. And yeah. he's probably paid by her mom. That's mostly what I got there. I wrote homosexual icon Lito Rodriguez. I'm so excited to talk about him. His boyfriend's hot. I said all these things. Oh, when Lito is this is the thing, right? The show's corny. Every like earnest line is so corny. But when Lito is says something and you're like, oh, that's so goofy, you realize that he's quoting a movie because he's Mm -hmm. like a film guy and it's his boyfriend going like, oh, that's really corny. And you're like, oh wait, the show can't do both like actually corny and then like. (laughs) lampshaded immediately come on uh-huh. there's a lot of great dialogue in the Lido plot especially when daniela shows up i mean it's it's very uncomfortable when daniela shows up and she's pressuring Lido, and then it becomes great when she finds out what's going on and she's like oh i'm down for this yes. um but uh you know when she gets into the bedroom she's saying what what's the problem Lido?" And then Lido's boyfriend says, the problem is, honey, that you don't have a cock. Bing bong. <laughs> that's pretty funny. Uh, I do like that line a lot. Um, there's some other lines I liked. In the Will plot, when he goes to the bar where his dad is, and all these like crusty old cop guys are <laughs> heckling him, and one of them says, you got some sack of balls coming in here. <laughs> The king. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then they're fighting over the free He's beer. Like, Stop hectoring me. <laughs> Stop. And then when he goes into the the convenience store and he's like, do you have like sleep medicine? And the guy goes on this long thing about how he has a preferred sleep medicine that he takes with booze because mm-hmm. he loves the buzz. And he says, drugs are like shoes. Everyone needs them, but they don't always fit. It's like, who are you? Are you like are the you? most important character in Sensei? Yeah. What's happening? Yeah. Why did you get more screen time than Sunbok or Caffius? <laughs> yeah, just like check in on them. I'll watch them eat breakfast and just be like, yep, they paid the actor. Good. Thank you. Yeah. I think they didn't film enough for them is the real answer. And mm-hmm. you'll see why later. Okay. Uh, yeah. I thought that guy was hilarious. I love it when the side characters just get to be a whole ass dude for five minutes. Yeah fun uh i think i had one more thing oh is maybe i'm not up on my terminology here uh amanita sees jonas on the camera and she describes him as a persian guy are we Mm. calling people persian in 2015 Uh, i don't know i don't know either and i'm middle eastern and i don't know persian relates to ethnicity while iranian encompasses a nationality so you can be Iranian and not be Persian. You can be Iranian, Mazandrani, Jalaki, etc. Got it. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, so I didn't want to... And, and this Google search is probably not the like first and final answer, but I was just curious, what's the usage of that? And it seems like they it's fine. Hmm. The way she used it, it's a nationality. Got it. Uh, and then, yeah, ending on that car chase was so, like, just, I want to hit next episode, guys. Why can't you, no, like, that's going to be a thing we run into with Sensei a lot is, like, they don't end episodes. They just expect you to hit the next one. If Sometimes it's, we're very early in the era of 
you know, shows get dropped all at once and they're basically one long movie. And occasionally season one feels like that where it's like, what? why did the episode end? What? Okay. Yeah. Both of these episodes, I was like, what is that? Okay. Yeah. Nomi sends with everyone getting shot and you're like, well, who? Okay. If you say yeah. so. Not Nomi. I'm sorry. Uh, Riley. Riley. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Riley. Um, do you want to talk about what we're watching next week? I do. Next time on Chats 8, we're watching the next two episodes of Sense8 Season 1. First is Episode 3, Smart Money is on the Skinny... Uh, bitch is the word. It's part of the title, so I read it, but I don't like saying that word. With many of the Sense8's lives becoming more complicated, their newfound gift, while still a mystery, proves vital for survival. That sounds fun. Yeah. Okay. Then episode four, what's going on? And I said, Great karaoke song. I said, hey. What's going on? Not a great karaoke song to do second. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, we made that mistake recently. Nomi's fate draws nearer. Caffius and Wolfgang's fortunes seem to have turned, but Sun is faced with an impossible choice. Okay, so Sun and Caffius are finally back in the show in episode four. I biting my tongue really hard. That episode's cool. It's interesting. Okay. Definitely important screen. I love it. You're going to love it. Okay. That's all. It's good. Great. I don't remember too many episodes, but that one is, 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 I, 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 you know? Anyways, yeah. uh, let's take it to the plugity, 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 plug zone. Did you know that we host two other podcasts, folks? If you're listening on this main chat feed, then you already know that. We do Should You Watch every month where we watch new television shows and talk about them. And we watch all of them and tell you if they're worth adding to your queue. Every three months, we do Trek Chats, which you just heard two weeks ago, uh, where we watch a season of Star Trek The Next Generation every three months. And uh, we talk about it as first timers. Um, so check those out. They all have their own podcast feeds. So if you just want to listen to those things, you can do that if you're not caught up or don't want to listen to main feed chats. In terms of um, our regular plug zone, I can take this one, Meg, if you don't mind. Please do. If you have questions, comments, concerns, send them to chatspod at gmail.com. That's C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D at gmail.com. We have a Twitter, which is at chatspod. And we have a community-run subreddit, which is r chatspod. If you like the show, please consider rating us on your podcast platform of choice. We like we are on everything. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all the good stuff. Check us out on those. Subscribe, rate, etc. And if you'd like to support us financially, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash chatspot, where uh, at $1, 3 or $5 a month, you get different tiers of bonus content, including movie commentaries, including piloting shows like Sense8, like you heard last week, including... Uh, what else do we do? We do a lot of weird stuff. We do a lot of interesting things. John talks about the X-Files occasionally. It's it's wet and wild. And if you want to hear more of us, that's the best way to do it. Um, so you get all of that at $3. And at $5, you get all of that plus a thank you at the end of every main chat speed episode. So as of today, thank you to our $5 patrons. Arthur, Jen, Justin, Kat, Lee, Majan's mom, Marcus, Michael, Nick and Pat of the Brothers at Infinite War six and stefan thank you for supporting chats y'all we really appreciate you all things chats can be found at chatspod.com and if you like our main feed podcast art that's done by our friend camilla she can be found at camilla strader on all of the social media platforms 
And uh, Magellan, I almost forgot to ask, are you on any other podcast that you want to recommend to folks or tell people about? I am. It's a video game podcast called Super Smash Echoes, which I do with my friend Justin, where we talk about video games that are related to Super Smash Brothers in some way. And it's a fun little video game book club, Super Smash Echoes. Check it out. Fabulous. I what can about be you? Found... Thanks. I can be found on The Hundreds Quorum, which is on scanlinemedia.com. It's a show where my friend Six and I do a little ranking show. We rank Pokemon and we rank Monster Hunter Monsters. Uh, and by rank, I mean decide if they're worth keeping or cutting because they're boring or cool. Um, yeah, we do that over there. And that's, you know, it's kind of at a random cadence whenever we have the time to do it. But we're going to get close to wrapping up relatively soon until they make more Pokemon. And my other main gig is Talking Marketing, which is a bi-monthly marketing podcast that I host with my volunteer job with the AMA in Boston. Um, we interview marketing professionals in a fun and short format way, and it's really cool. And we're going to put out two episodes in October. So um, check out Talking Marketing wherever you listen to those. And before we say goodbye, folks, last thing here, we do a segment called Chatsums, where every host on the episode gets to recommend the listener something between now and next episode of Chats to enjoy, whether it be an experience of your life, a piece of media, a thought, a poem, or a picture. Uh, Majan, what's your chatsum for this week? Uh, so I've previously chatsumed a YouTube channel called, called Hive Mind, where these guys Riley and Graydon. Graydon sometimes goes by Dignan, or it's a totally different guy. That's kind of the bit. <laughs> um, but they have a YouTube channel where they just do various videos chatting about uh, and playing games related to mostly hip-hop music. Um, but they recently started a second channel called Hive Mind Unlimited, where it's still them, but they're talking about whatever now. And they're just really, they're charming, funny guys. They recently did a video where, with uh, Nick from uh, Nick is Not Green, where they taste tested two sodas mixed together and tried to guess what sodas they were. And that was kind of fun. Cool. I like that. Yeah, stuff like that. So there you go. Hive Reach mind out to me, Hive Mind. Oh, Hive Mind Limited. Okay, great. Yeah, their second channel. Yeah. Yes, yes. Thank you. Um, my chat sum this week is a TV show. Believe it or not, sometimes we watch TV outside of chats. Believe it or not. Believe it or not. Uh, I've been watching Andor on Disney Plus. Um, I've been just. Is like, it good? But it's. It's the best Star Wars TV show. Shut up. I've heard it's really good. It's fucking astounding. It Did sucks. we fuck up by yeah. not watching it? Ugh. Yeah. Now everyone else is covering it. A more civilized age is literally covering it instead of Clone Wars temporarily because it's so goddamn good. <laughs> yeah, mate. So Majan's referring to the fact that we did a Should You Watch on the Book of Boba Fett, which was, spoiler alert, really disappointing. And yeah, you're like, are they going to make a good show? And Andor had some hype, right? That first trailer was like really good. And then uh, they were like, we're going to use real sets. We're not using our like CG set format that Kathleen Kennedy and company like crafted and put a lot of money into. We're going to use real ass sets. Let me tell you guys, those real sets look really good. The show is an incredible showcase of my new 4K TV. The show is also incredibly well-written because what if Star Wars characters talked like real people instead of like weird George Lucas puppets? It's bananas. It's their episode three is like a Tony Gilroy heist thriller. All of the characters are interesting. The villains are nuanced and it's beautifully shot and the writing is just the dialogue. It fucking sucks. I hate it. How good it is. It's so good. God damn it. <laughs> 
Uh, check out Andor on Disney Plus. Even if you don't give a goddamn about Star Wars, it does not care about the rest of Star Wars. It is just good in its own little world, and uh, plenty of people are watching it. I'm not here to be like, no, no people are watching it. Um, but if you're curious, it's it's good. It gets the Alan Seal approval. That's what we got, folks. Thank you to Magellan for being. Thank you for being the gaffiest to my son because neither of us appeared in these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> in the second one, at least. Uh, and thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of Chats 8. Peace. Bye-bye.